Hello and welcome to JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. I'm Meera Chandan, uh, co-head of the FX strategy team at JP Morgan. And I'm joined today by uh, Arindam Sandalia uh, from Singapore and uh, Katsuhiro Oshima from Tokyo. So we've had a pretty, uh, pretty punchy moves um, in currency markets. Uh, we've had two things happening. We've had US real yields going up. Uh, quite substantially, uh, and we have at the same time had an intensification of pressures um, from China, uh, additional headline risk and policy easing. And then, of course, in dollar yen, we've had additional fireworks with dollar yen um, breaking through on 45. Uh, so we're going to talk about all of those issues um, today. Uh, let's start with um, the Japanese yen, uh, Oshima-san. Uh, dollar yen has obviously uh, been uh, front and center, uh, just given given the move it's had in the past uh, few weeks, uh, following the BOJ adjustment of the YCC. Uh, now we're starting to get some job owning from Ministry of Finance as well, which shows they might be getting uncomfortable with yen weakness. What is your opinion on at what levels um, the MOF is going to intervene uh, in FX markets? Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for your um, comment. So, so in my view, I think uh, the most intervention risk is uh, increasing recently, but uh, we do not see the level would be uh, in uh, around 145 or slightly above 145. So we see that I think a threshold would be uh, around 150, uh, five being higher than, than the current uh, level um, uh, recording right now. So um, I think it would be uh, helpful to consider uh, fundamental con conditions um, when we, uh, you know, um, we monitor FX intervention because um, the situations are different uh, from the last time uh, intervention, which was conducted in an autumn last year, 2022. So in short, um, I would uh, like to uh, exaggerate that the fundamental point of view um, intervention is not as acute um, as in 2022, September or October case. So um, let me explain uh, several um, elements. So firstly, I would like to um, mention uh, import price of Japan. So um, Japan's import price year on year has been coming down and over the uh, past six months, so or, or um, a little bit longer term. So in September to, uh, 2022, Japan's import price uh, was uh, positive, 49% uh, year on year. So it's a, it was a large increase. Um, but uh, right now, the, in the latest data, uh, July uh, data shows that um, it was uh, negative uh, 14%, so 14%. So which implies that income squeeze uh, by weak JPY would be uh, smaller than uh, autumn last year case. So this implies that the um, magnitude of supply shocks um, in Japan uh, ha and have been alleviated compared to the condition uh, last year. So I think in terms of this, the MOF finds a less um, necessity of an emergence, uh, an um, emergent uh, intervention right now. And secondly, um, I would like to mention the wage development in Japan. So regarding uh, the nominal wage, the conditions are improving, and also um, real uh, wage is also improving. So let me um, uh, touch upon some recent, re recent data shown in second quarter GDP. So real wage uh, growth was positive uh, quarter on quarter for the first time since uh, first quarter 2021. Um, that was shown in the second quarter GDP data. 
So um, at the time of uh, FX intervention last time, uh, autumn last year, the, I think uh, both nominal and the real wage growth was still um, uh, a little bit uncertain. So right now, the wage growth in terms of nominal and the real term, I think uh, situations uh, has been improving. So that is the second point I would like to address. And thirdly, uh, the conditions about the current account or trade balances uh, are improving. So uh, this is uh, related with the import price developments I uh, just discussed, but uh, this is also important in terms of uh, international trade stability uh, for Japan. So I think uh, these conditions um, of fundamental um, you know, um, economic uh, numbers uh, will uh, lessen uh, the acuteness of uh, currency intervention. Uh, by the Japanese government. So that is uh, the reason uh, from uh, fundamental uh, you know, conditions of Japan. And I would like to um, mention uh, another point. So that is uh, the remarks from uh, uh, government and officials. So we uh, consider uh, the recently we had uh, some uh, comments from uh, Minister, of, uh, Minister of Finance, Japan, but uh, he does not show um, uh, strong uh, worries about the, the you know the FX market movement or level right now, so which implies that um, the government does not show a strong strong um, uh, warning to the market. So they I think that if the the FX movement becomes uh, rapid or the level shows you know the the higher um, state and then i think uh, they are going to increase the the the, the warning level but we do not find on uh, that kind of uh, um um level right now so um in summary um in terms of fundamentals and then i think uh, uh qualitative judgment from uh official statement we consider that intervention level is above the current level and then I, I would say it would be uh, 150 or, or around on that level. Okay, so it sounds like um, there is more room for upside here on dollar yen, at least uh, to 150 before intervention risk is an issue. Um, let's just talk about BOJ policy um, in brief. Um, unlike the MOF, um, do you think they, they would be worried about yen levels? Um, and could this result in an earlier change in policy? Okay, so... Um, so let, let, let me um, explain a little bit about uh, how the BOJ think about inflation development. I think uh, from a fundamental point of view, the BOJ wants to um, um, create a demand-driven inflation in the long run. So um, this is, uh, I think this is their goal. So uh, 2% and then it should be driven by demand. And then if the current policy could generate the cost push inflation, and then um, it, and it implies um, deviation from uh, their goal. So which means that demand-driven inflation, uh, they would uh, consider uh, the adjustment of uh, their, the current policy. But uh, as I mentioned uh, in my comments about the most in intervention, the cost push color of uh, current conditions are lessened uh, compared to last year. So um, I do not find uh, in, uh, the, the I did not find an immediate change um, by uh, of uh, BOJ uh, monetary policy right now, and I have I think and I uh, uh, they recognize some 
room um, until they uh, find the necessity of uh, another policy adjustment. Having said, I, I, I think a BOJ could change the policy if uh, BOJ weak, uh, JPY weakening caused a massive capital outflow uh, from Japan, and that would uh, destabilize the Japanese economy. So in that case, they will consider some adjustment um, to stabilize the economy. And the second point I would like to mention is um, if the, the right now community prices uh, are coming down, but if there is any shock uh, to uh, increase a community in the global market and then um, yen weakening uh, make things worse, and then that result in the higher import price, which could lead to um, uh, income squeeze in Japan, and then and BOJ will consider uh, another um, action. But uh, right now, um, I do not find um, um, a strong incentive uh, for BOJ to move. Okay, thank you very much, Yoshima-san. So it sounds like we still have some room for upside on dollar yen to about 150 till intervention risk uh, becomes real. Uh, so with that, um, uh, let's let's shift our focus to, um, to China, Arindam, uh, clearly, there's been a lot going on in that part of the world. Uh, clearly, the weakness in data has intensified with uh, what we've seen on the TSF, the total social financing numbers, uh, the credit growth slower. Uh, you had unexpected monetary policy easing. Uh, there's obviously stresses on the property sector, which has been in the news. Uh, what are the best markers to track how these stresses are evolving? And also, what sort of policy action can we really expect to contain this, or does this just continue in a one, uh, you know, one-way train format? Hey, Mira. Yeah. So, in terms of how to track this, uh, I guess you can track uh, either the uh, actual developments in the property sector. So, at a, when you get the usual flow of monthly housing activity data, as we get in most countries, new home sales, floor area started, building completions, home prices, etc. Uh, very conveniently, China at a very high frequency, actually daily, you can get housing transactions in terms of square meters sold in 30 major cities, which is running well below seasonal norms, looking at the data over the past few years. Uh, very helpfully, our economics team has collated a slew of such housing activity measures into a composite housing activity index that uh, lives in data queries, a time series database for those of our listeners who are familiar with, our, uh, with the tool on our website, jpmm.com. Uh, in terms of stress in the financial sector stemming from these uh, from the housing sector weakness, you can track the performance of stressed company bonds. Uh, one easy thing to track is the uh, JP Morgan uh, Asia Credit Index, the JASI uh, China High Yield Sub-Index, which has fallen 10% month-to-date, 30% down from early Jan highs. You can track the performance of uh, real estate-linked stocks, uh, SH Prop Index, which is the real estate component of uh, the, the Shanghai Composite that's down 5% from month-to-date highs. Uh, so yeah, so whatever you look at, actual housing data or uh, financial market data, there's no doubt that stresses are evident everywhere. In terms of what the government can do to contain this, you know, I don't think uh, they're going to sit still as uh, uh, markets get roiled by this, this sort of news flow. So I think it's fair to expect local-level easing intensifying over the past few months, uh, such as... Uh, lowering down payment restrictions, uh, down payment requirements, relaxing first uh, home mortgage definition, relaxing home purchase restrictions, etc. China's tried this in various guises over the past few months. I think those can intensify. 
Uh, but in addition to tackling the weakness in the property sector itself, uh, you also need to do some things in order to contain the financial risks associated with uh, uh, LGF fees and such that have come into the news over the over the past uh, couple of weeks. So last week, for example, you got news flow that uh, Beijing will allow local governments to raise about one trillion CNY via bond sales to repay LGF fee debt or other local government hidden debt. Uh, this is a step in the right direction, but the magnitude one trillion CNY is a drop in the ocean compared to fifty-six trillion CNY of outstanding total local government uh, financing legal debt. Right, so that measure can be scaled up. An alternative is to use uh, one of more systemic uh, resolution uh, schemes like uh, uh, LGAP's debt, debt restructuring by extending loan maturity or lowering the interest rate cost. Uh, I think every chance that you actually get some mix of uh, local government debt swaps plus this sort of uh, systematic mechanisms. There are other alternatives on the table. You could you know, have an asset management company model that moves bad assets uh, from LGAPs onto banks' balance sheets, you could get asset disposals, you could get aggressive policy rate cuts to lower funding costs for these LGAPs. You could get fiscal reform that uh, revisits the revenue and expenditure split between central and local governments. But I mean, some of these uh, last few mentioned measures, these are operationally more bulky, you know, they might take longer. So my guess is that we'll get some sort of debt swap plus debt restructuring kind of solutions in, in the weeks and months to come. Thanks, Arandam. And uh, what are you thinking in terms of targets for dollar CNY? I mean, obviously, we've had a pretty big uh, move uh, in the RMB already. Is this something that we should expect should continue um, in, in the coming weeks? Or do you think that uh, given the way fixes are going, it's going to be enough to uh, to turn the tide? Uh, yeah, Mira, so we are already through our 725 year-end target. We tend to err on the side of caution on these targets, given how sensitive the PBOC is to... Uh, CNY weakness, generally their interventions, either through fixings uh, or through dollar selling or some mix thereof, tends to intensify when CNY weakens. Uh, so, so we are reconsidering targets, but in terms of how far spot can run, this is a sort of thought exercise. Let's use rate differentials as a guide. It's worked okay over the last 12, 18 months. It generally doesn't, but the last uh, uh, year or so has been a story of cyclical divergence, US versus China, rate differentials have been a decent guide. So if you hold current rate differentials constant, uh, dollar CNY is already trading at a bit of a premium to those rate spreads, uh, but the misalignment is relatively tame. Uh, let's expand the risk premium to last year's uh, highs. That takes you into the 740, 745 sort of area. I think there's an assumption here of holding rates constant. Uh, we've seen the price action in CNY rates market has been one of entrenched sort of down momentum in yields. And if resolution of the housing sector problems requires further rate cuts, then of course, this sort of estimate of where CMY can go is, is a bit of a moving target. So yeah, we're thinking that the fixing measures uh, announced this week, they're not going to be sufficient to turn the tide of the trend. But of course, they can uh, flush out uh, recently established CNY shorts and they can hold the uh, this range around 730 to 735 for a little bit before the uptrend resumes. Um, so with that, Mira, the other thing that you mentioned at the uh, outset uh, that's been going on other than uh, uh, stresses in China and, uh, and all this noise around uh, BOJ intervention, it's this big macro impact of uh, rising US real yields, uh, testing almost 2% uh, on 10-year US real. Uh, in the face of that, one clear outline in FX markets has been that UAUSD simply hasn't budged. Very resilient in the 
high 109s, close to 110. Why is that? Do you have a good story for uh, why the US still up here? Sure, thanks, Arundam. Yeah, it really has been um, it really has been um, an outlier, particularly if you um, if you sort of combine it with um, the fact that you had a pretty big move in uh, CNH as well. So, look, you know, I, I think there are a few things to consider here. Um, I think the first one is that yes, U.S. real yields have gone up; they've been rising. Uh, they're making new um, cycle highs, um, and that's that's clearly an important development. But I also think it's important to keep in mind that um, this is actually a DM phenomenon. We are seeing uh, real yields in the eurozone in the UK um, also um, also making new cycle highs, um, and rising term premium as a result has been a phenomenon across several DM uh, rate markets. So yes, and you know we have had some yield compression, um, absolutely, but. Um, a large part of the U.S. move has been offset by what's happening locally in these um, in these countries as well and in these bond markets as well. So uh, we have seen fair value for euro dollar drift lower, um, but uh, but you know it's it's not as large as one would expect. And I'll talk about um, those specific targets in just a, just a minute. Now the second thing I'll say is that it's important to keep in mind that euro dollar hadn't actually kept up with rate differentials as. Um, um, as they had widened out when, uh, you know, back, um, let's say, if you, if you go back to sort of uh, the May, June area, at some point, rate differentials, nominal um, and real were kind of indicating that, you know, on, on some measures, fair value in euro dollar could be as high as 117. So, uh, you know, euro dollar had never really managed to keep up with that, uh, that optimism. And hence, um, I, I suspect that part of this resilience is just that you know that cushion that had been built in uh, as rate differentials have come down, the initial impact and the shock on um, euro dollar was more insulated. Um, now looking ahead, look, I mean, I think the net net the backdrop is still fairly bearish for euro, even though I have to admit that the pace of negative surprises and the uh, you know the scope of negative surprises in the data have started to actually de-intensify. They're starting to come off. You look at our economic active surprise index is not as negative as it was about a month ago. So I think the next set of flash PMIs are actually going to be quite important. But I think um, but I think net net the the backdrop is still fairly negative um, for the euro. And um, you know I think there are two parts to the story. The first is the relatives. Uh, the relative uh, macro backdrop between the two regions, um, you know, with the U.S. more resilient on growth terms relative to the eurozone, um, and second, um, uh, you know, also with the relative central bank um, uh, stances as well, given given you know this macro backdrop, um, I think um, uh, you know what we've seen from a from a fundamental standpoint is that loan growth in in the eurozone is signaling further declines in the PMIs. The fact that China growth is slowing, I think, has spillover effects to a larger extent in the eurozone as well. And uh, if I looked purely at the growth differentiation between U.S. and um, U.S. and eurozone, I you know I you know just given the data we have in hand. Uh, I would have estimated that euro dollar should have been five cents weaker. So from that 110 level that you mentioned down to 105, which is which is really a target for the second half uh, and something we're maintaining. If I look at fair value on real rate differentials, it's 107.50. So, um, you know, and I, and I think the sensitivity to additional, like uh, to growth surprises on the downside particularly is just going to be larger for the ECB than it is uh, for the Fed because the ECB starting point is um, a larger output gap compared to the US where 
um, that doesn't really exist. So I would certainly, from a growth divergence standpoint, be still thinking this is a euro negative um, um, situation. And the second thing I'll say is part of this, and a big part of this relates to what's happening in CNH. Uh, you know, historically, you haven't tended to see such large decouplings between CNH and Euro. So far, you know, the way I'm thinking about this is US is on one extreme of the growth spectrum. China is on the other sort of um, uh, extreme in the red. And then you've got Euro, which is somewhere in the middle. Um, and so I wouldn't expect the Euro dollar moves to be as intense as what's going on uh, with CNH, but at the same time, like you don't see these large decouplings um, to um, uh, to persist for long periods of time, and something has to give as this band gets more and more stretched. And uh, given your comments on what's happened um, on with the path of least resistance and the fundamentals suggesting dollar CNH higher over the medium term, I think Euro eventually has to play catch up with this. So, and you know, and you can see that in the trade weighted terms, Euro has actually strengthened a fair bit. And that's really not uh, not a great outcome, just given given the weak growth we're seeing. So I think all in all, um, the backdrop underlying um, should still be euro dollar weaker, uh, just within narrower ranges. Uh, so we're still looking for one of five as a downside um, as a downside target here. So looking for weaker euro, CNH is weakening. Oshima-san is looking for at least one fifty before any sort of intervention risk materializes. So those are the big three pushing the dollar higher. U.S. real is uh, making new highs, uh, potentially going through uh, to breach a, a very key level we have not seen in, in years. Um, U.S. growth, as you laid out in your visual of where different countries stand, really outpacing everything else in the world. It's a pretty clean bullish dollar narrative, no? Yeah, you summarized it perfectly. You know, it's it's a bullish dollar. It's a bullish dollar um, uh, outlook. We have been in uh, the bullish dollar camp um for a while and you know as you as you very articulately laid out it's it's about the growth divide it's about u.s resilience which is really more u.s exceptionalism which tends to weigh more on low yielders and the growth challenged currency so that obviously means yen euro cnh and then it's about carry i mean at the end of the day you're being you're also getting paid carry to be um to be owning the dollar you know about five percent and real yields are going up as well so um i, I and i at, at the last point i'll make is like the seasonality as well as this time of the year you know we've been talking about the august seasonality but that does extend into september as well it tends to be usually quite supportive of um of the dxy as well so all in all i'd say that um you know across across the uh, themes that we've discussed today it's hard to sort of walk away from this from this call without uh, without a bullish um dollar outlook um so that's um that's it for today um please take a look at additional research on uh, jpmm.com and thanks so much uh, for joining us this communication is provided for information purposes only. Uh, please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on August 18, 2023.